Amen. Thank you so very much. And uh, Pastor Kevin, thank you for allowing us to return to Glad Tidings. It's such an honor and a privilege to be with you, friends, today. Again, God has been so good to us, and uh, Pastor is a friend of ours, and we uh, feel like we're friends of the congregation. We've been here down through the years, a lot of years and a lot of times, and we're just so grateful for this privilege. And it's a, an awesome responsibility to stand in this pulpit because I have heard your pastor, and he is a marvelous expositor of God's holy word, and you are a well-fed congregation, and it's intimidating to stand in a pulpit and follow a pastor like Kevin Holt, and I appreciate the privilege being extended to me and the honor, and uh, I step up to accept the challenge, okay? <laughs> it's great to be with you, friends, today. Today, my message is entitled, What to Do When You Don't Know What to Do. Anybody ever been there? We've all been there, haven't we? You, you get a pink slip, and you don't know what to do. You're in a broken relationship, and you don't know what to do. You have a prodigal in your family, and you don't know what to do. An addiction has you bound and chained, and you don't know what to do. Fear, anxiety grips your life and your heart, and it's all you can think of, and you, you don't know what to do. I remember many times that I didn't know what to do. I remember particularly when I was age 16, and I've told you the story many times, how I was involved in an accident where my right arm was entangled in a meat grinder. And God miraculously intervened and saved my life, spared my life that day. It's a miracle. But when that happened, I didn't know what to do. My arm was in the meat grinder up to an inch and a half below the elbow. The people in the store had never been to a hand grinding before. They didn't know what to do. They came and, and, and they stood around me and looked and tried to figure out what to do. Someone went and got a cold uh, a rag and they wet it with cold water. They didn't even wring it out. It was just sopping wet and they gave it to me and I was holding it on my forehead, my arms in the grinder. Someone did think to call the operator. This was before the days of 911. Called the operator and called for an ambulance. The ambulance service, the operator called the ambulance service from the wrong side of town, from East Terre Haute, and we were in the separate town of West Terre Haute across the Wabash River Bridge. So it took more than 20 minutes for the ambulance to come. And meanwhile, people were trying to figure out what to do. I had let out a scream I am told was heard outside the building, but soon a crowd had gathered from the neighborhood there in Little West Terre Haute, and across the street from the grocery store was a gas station. This was in the day of full-service gas stations where you pulled up and you, uh, an attendant came out, gave you the amount of gas, you gave them cash, they went inside to the cash register and made the change and brought it back to you, 
and meanwhile filled your tires with air and washed the windshield and wiped off the rearview mirror and all that. And next to the entrance to the gas station, there would be a garage, and that's where the mechanics did the work, and that was where the cars were worked on. Well, the mechanic that was working on a car over there heard that something had happened over at the grocery store, and he came in, and he has his, uh, his rag on his hand, wiping the grease off his hands. He's been working on a motor. And he, he looks at me, and he says, Son, I think I could reverse the motor on that thing and get your hand out of there. And uh, I said, I, I think I'll wait. He, he, did, he didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. No one around me knew what to do. Uh, I'm thankful that they knew to call for help. But every time I closed my eyes, I saw Jesus. Every time I closed my eyes, I saw Jesus. I didn't know what to do, but he did, and he took care of it. He performed a miracle and spared my life. Jehoshaphat faced a situation. Our text is in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Lord, add your blessing to the reading of the Holy Word today. Transform our lives by the power of your Word and Spirit today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. You see, faith never knows where it's being led, but it knows and loves the one who is leading. You can always look to Jesus and you can always trust him no matter what your circumstance is. Here's the story beginning in verse 1 for Jehoshaphat. It happened after this that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Verse 2. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria, and they are in Engedi. That meant they were getting closer. Verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Verse 4, And so Judah came together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came together to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. He called a prayer meeting. They didn't know what to do. And when the unimaginable becomes your reality, you'll want to do what Jehoshaphat and the children of Judah did. Verse number 6 there are three questions in this passage that we hope God will give us the answer to. And these are questions we need to ask God anytime we're facing those circumstances where we don't know what to do. Verse 6, And said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over the kingdoms of the nations? 
and in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not God? And when you cry out that question, the answer will come by the Holy Spirit and through the anointed Holy Word of God. Are you not God in heaven? And the answer is, yes, I am God in heaven. Are you not the God that stood on the threshold of nothingness and literally spoke everything into existence that now exists? Are you not the God that flung from your fingertips the stars of the sky? Are you not the God that said, let there be light, and there was light? Are you not the God that divided the land from the waters? And are you not God that created all of the living things in the earth and all the plants and the vegetations? And are you not God that scooped down a ball of mud and made man out of a ball of mud and breathed life into him soul? And God will say, yes, that's me. I am the God in heaven. I am the God of all power. Our God is omnipotent. Our God is all powerful. You see, you can really trust this kind of God. He's worthy of our in, implicit trust and complete reliance because of his power, nothing is too hard for him. If we were serving a God that was stinted in might and limited in his strength, we might very well despair today. But seeing that our God is clothed with omnipotence, there's no prayer that's too hard for him to answer. There's no need too great for him to supply. There is no passion that's too strong for him to subdue. There is no temptation too powerful for him to deliver from. No misery so deep for him to relieve. For the Lord is the strength of my life, the psalmist said. Of whom shall I be afraid? We serve an all-powerful, omnipotent God. And we serve a faithful God. Our God is the one who is faithful. He's faithful in all things. He's faithful at all times. Know therefore that the Lord my God he is God, the faithful God. Deuteronomy 7, 9. This quality is essential to his being. Without his faithfulness, he would not be God. He's also a holy God. He's independently, infinitely, immutably holy. In scripture, he's frequently called the Holy One. He is called this because he is the sum of all moral excellency. He is absolute purity, unsullied even by the shadow of sin. He is an awesome, holy God. The people of Isaiah's day, the children of God, didn't have a big enough picture of who God was. So Isaiah penned Isaiah chapter 40. And he gave some comparisons there. You know, if I take two tablespoons of water and put it in the palm of my hand, 
There's going to be water dripping on the platform up here because it will overflow and it will run out between my fingers. But our God's so great and so big that in the palm of his hand, he has every drop of water in the Atlantic and the Pacific and the Arctic and the Antarctic and the Mediterranean and the Black Sea and Lake Michigan and even Lake Placid. He has every drop of water on this earth in the palm of his hand and not a drop falls through. That's how great our God is. And then with a pinch, a pinch between the first finger and the thumb in cooking, you just put a pinch of this, a pinch of that. Well, every grain of sand and on this earth, every grain of sand on this earth, God holds between his finger and his thumb. That's how great our God is. And then with the span of his hand, he measures the universes. Not the universe, the universes with the span of his hand. With the span of our hand, we measure the height of a horse. Our God is great, and he's greatly to be praised. Are you not God in heaven? Yes, he is God in heaven, and that's the God that we serve. Remember, your present circumstances or challenges do not change who God is or limit in any way his omnipotent power. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Verse number seven is the second question. Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And the answer, of course, is yes, he did. Did you not send Joseph to Egypt so that he could save the world when the great famine came? Yes, he did. Did you not send Moses to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel out of their bondage? Yes, he did. Did you not lead them through the wilderness with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? Yes, you did. Did you not take the children of Israel across the Red Sea on dry land and the Egyptians, a saying to do so, drowned behind them? Yes, he did. Did you not rain manna on the ground every day? Did you not bring water out of the rock? Did you not? Did you not? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Hallelujah. And remember this. Looking back on God's faithfulness enables us, enables us to move forward in victory. He is the God that is, are you not? He's the God that was, did you not? And then verse 12, our text. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do but our eyes are upon you. We used to sing it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the power of his glory and grace. And when all you see you don't know what to do about what you see that's time to turn and see Jesus. It's time to look at Jesus. And not just a glance, 
but a glare and a stare until it becomes a gaze and you're gazing at the majesty of his holiness and his omnipotence and his faithfulness and his mercy and his love and his grace and when you're gazing upon Jesus, then you will begin to be transformed, to be like him from glory to glory to glory. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and begin the transformation of becoming more like him. You see, remember when we don't know what to do, it's time to look to our righteous judge and place our trust in him. You see, will you not judge them? We live in an unjust world. How many know that? Injustice is all around us. Our mistake is we think it's our job to bring judgment on those who are evil and wicked. It's not my job. My job is to tell them of a loving God who sent his only son to transform their lives and to forgive their sins and to break the power of the evil that has a hold on them. I've got good news and bad news today. I'm going to give you the good news first. Jesus is coming back again. Did you hear me? Jesus is coming back again. That's good news. And when he comes, he's going to put everything right. He's going to make everything right. We will have a true righteous judgment when Jesus comes back. Evil will be dis dismissed and punished and holiness will be rewarded. It will happen. The judge is coming. Jesus is coming back. That's good news. Can you say amen? I've got bad news. Jesus is coming back. It's bad news. You see, it's only good news if you hear it in time. It's only good news if you know that Jesus is coming in time to change your life and to look to him for your salvation. It's bad news that Jesus is coming back and you haven't heard that Jesus even came the first time. That's why we're busy spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. That's why this church is sending out missionaries and giving thousands of dollars every year to reach the lost of this world because the bad news is Jesus is coming back soon. And much of the world doesn't know he came the first time. Good news, bad news. It's good news for everyone we reach with it. So let's do it. Jesus will come back again and he will judge the wicked and evil. Now, the rest of the story, verse 14. They called the prayer meeting. They asked these questions of God. Are you not? Did you not? Will you not? And then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Verse 15. The Lord says to you, Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. 
for the battle is not yours, but God's. That's liberating, come on. The battle's not yours, but God's. The problem we have in the church, especially those of us that have been in the church a long time, we've been at this a long time, we keep fighting battles he's already won. Come on, we keep fighting battles he's already won. At the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. Whatever you need for your life in Jesus Christ has been paid for. It's been bought and paid for. The bill has been paid for the debt of your sin. The bill has been paid for the healing of your body. Jesus paid it all at the cross of Calvary. He finished the work of salvation for us. It is finished. The battle has been won. Hallelujah. Remember, it's not your battle. It's his, and he's already won. After Jehaziel prophesied, Jehoshaphat and all the people bowed and worshiped the Lord. And then stood to praise the Lord. Verse 21, he appointed those that should sing unto the Lord. By the way, we had some wonderful singers here this morning leading us in worship, didn't we? Who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army they were saying, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. When they began to praise the Lord, God sent ambushes to the enemy who was coming to destroy them. And when we begin to praise God, when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, when we begin to praise him and worship him, God takes care of what we don't know what to do with. So, worship him. Look to him. Revelation 1 and 8, powerful verse. Jesus' words. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. A few years ago, that verse was speaking to me and I gathered together and wrote down some thoughts about that verse. Jesus states clearly he is the beginning. He's the beginner of the beginning. He's the beginner in whom the beginning began. He is the beginning who does not stop, for he has no boundary line. He has nowhere to go, for he occupies the immensity of space. He doesn't have to look around, for he has eyes in every place. He did not become, he always is. He's older than time, yet he's younger than the future. He is the beginning because he's already been in our past. He is the beginning of the beginning that is always beginning, the beginning that still is. But 
Jesus also clearly states that he is the ending. He is the ending after all the other endings. He's the ending who ends the ending. He's the ending after the endings are done. He's the ending who does not end because he always is. He's the ending to the curse. He's the ending to all sickness. He's the ending to pain. He's the ending to sorrow. He's the ending to suffering. He's the ending to night. He's the ending to tears. He's the ending to separation. He's the ending to crying. He's the ending to death itself. He is the ending of what you do when you don't know what to do because he does it for you. He is the ending that brings ultimate victory because he's already been in our future and because he always is. He's here right now. What he was and what he is and what he was and is, he always will be. He is the eternal logos of all eternity. And when 10 billion years have burned into the ashes of eternity, his face will still be beaming with the bliss of eternal youth because the word is true. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hallelujah. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Are you not God today? Yes, he is. Did you not deliver us in the past? Yes, he did. Will you not take care of the future? Yes, he will. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed for a moment. Anyone who's here today and you're going through one of those times, one of those circumstances when you really don't know what to do, we're not going to wring our hands. We're not going to fear. We're not going to fret today because we know what to do now. We've got to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and live. Look to Jesus become more like him. Look to Jesus. Because we can trust him. He's the God of the present. He's the God of the past. He's the God of our future. First of all, if there's anyone here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, there's unconfessed sin in your heart, and you would say, Brother David, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior today. I've, I've got an addiction. I've got an addiction that has control of my life, and I want to get control. I want him to have control. Would you slip your hand up and say, pray for me. I need Jesus as my Savior today. I want to pray with you. I see that hand. God bless you. You can put it down. Anyone else? We're going to pray, especially for this one, in just a moment. But I wonder how many are sitting here today and you're in one of those dark places. You need a divine intervention because you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what you should do. Physically, spiritually, financially, emotionally, relationally. If that's you, 
slip your hand up and say, Brother David, pray with me today that I'll be able to see Jesus in my circle. Yes, put, put the hand back. Yes, yes, yes. Others. Yes, God bless you, sister. God bless you. Any others? God bless you. Lord, you see the hands that were raised and you know the answer to what they need to do. Help them look to you and let you bring the solution for their problem and their need. Bring healing, bring deliverance. Be Jehovah Jireh, their provider. Oh God, for that prodigal, bring them home to you. For that broken relationship, only you can mend and heal those broken relationships. In Jesus' name. And this one that has raised her hand says she wants to accept you as Savior. We're going to declare that you're Lord and we're going to believe in our hearts that you want to save us. Everybody together, say it with me. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Yes, Jesus. Make him Lord right now, right here. Now I'm going to ask you to stand before I turn the service back to Pastor Kevin. Everybody stand with me, please. Now, the children of Israel, they, uh, they started shouting and praising God. And God did something for them. I don't want to make you uncomfortable, but we're going to end my part of the service with us giving a shout out to God. Praise. We're going to Shout our loudest shout of praise, hallelujah, glory to God. We're going to clap our hands. We're, well, it's going to be like you're in the arena and your favorite team, whether it's basketball, football, college, professional, your favorite team has just won the championship. You've just sealed the deal. You are the world champs. You're the state champs, whatever it is. And I want you to shout louder and bigger and stronger than you did at that game or that you would at that game. I'm gonna to count to three and I'm serious. I want us to raise the roof with our praise to God because when we praise him, he sets ambush against our enemies. So let's do it. One, two, I'm serious now. Are you ready? Three. Hallelujah! Glory to God. We give you the praise, oh God. Hallelujah! 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 Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah! Now lift those hands up and give him praise and glory. Lord, we thank you today for the victory. We thank you that you do what we cannot do that you bring us the victory in every circumstance, in every situation. In the name of Jesus, we declare the battle's not ours. The battle is yours, Lord. And we turn our eyes upon you right now in full surrender in the name of Jesus.